Would you join with me again in prayer? Our Lord and our God, with dependent and trusting hearts, we come before you this hour to lift up our, our burdens uh, and our prayers, our joys and our sorrows. We come with a special confidence today because you tell us that through Jesus, we call you our Father. We call you that one who loves us, that one who cares for us, the one who brings us into your family and gives us every single one of your precious promises and gives us every drop of your riches and gives us every ounce of the treasure that awaits us in heaven. Lord, as we have reflected this morning on your blessing to us through families, we are grateful that you are a father, that you are the one who does the very things uh, that sometimes we have a hard time doing uh, as those in a family. We remember in our prayer today, especially those uh, blessings of children and those blessings of babies. We do, of course, uh, thank you uh, for little Elon. Uh, we remember uh, and give you thanks and praise for the recent birth of uh, James Wagner. We thank you, especially this morning, for the arrival, safe arrival of Annie Francis of, to Jim and Madeline Curtis. We give you thanks that you uh, brought this newest covenant child to us. We pray you would strengthen uh, these young parents, all of them, uh, give them energy through sleepless nights. Give them grace uh, when they mess up uh, with their kids. Uh, grant them patience beyond their means. Grant them an overabounding uh, sense of your love for them, that that love might throw, flow through them uh, to their own children. We remember our sister Katie Tallman and Stephen uh, as they await uh, the arrival of their baby. Continue uh, to strengthen her in that. We remember those in our church who are uh, celebrating other types of new life, those who are newlyweds, uh, those who are uh, anticipating being married soon. We thank you that you are a God uh, who gives uh, wonderful gifts of blessing and of family and of life. But even as we give you praise for those very things this morning, we are honest in knowing that sometimes family uh, is not the source of endless joy. We know for some, family and Children and marriage is a source of, source of pain and a source of sorrow. We know there are parents this morning who are remembering baptizing their children and whose hearts go out to them for they seem to have gone off into the far country. We pray you would bring those covenant children back, not because of the faithfulness of their parents, not because of the strength of our prayers, but because of your promises, your good and true and, and faithful promises. Oh God, bring those children back home to you. We pray uh, for those who are struggling, those who are suffering in the context of family, and we pray for your comfort. We pray for your peace. We pray for wisdom, and uh, we pray for reconciliation. Lord, we remember this morning those who are not with us, even as we celebrate a full a room gathered to worship you. We think especially of our brother Mike Quinn. We thank you uh, that things uh, in his surgery in Tennessee seems to have gone well, and we, we pray for his recovery uh, and his return from us, to us. We remember others uh, who are absent, uh, those who are kept away uh, for any type of ailment in body or maybe even in their soul. We pray even for those that may be listening on uh, the, the recording or the live stream and they are, uh, they are feeling the ache of not being present with us. We pray that your spirit would go forth and bring the comfort uh, and the hope of the gospel. That, Lord, wherever we are found today, whether our hearts are full in familial blessings, whether our hearts are breaking, 
we come to you and we call you Father. And we come claiming the precious work of our older brother, Jesus, whoever stands to make intercession for us. We thank you for him. We pray that you would strengthen our hope in him and in his faithfulness. In his name we pray. Amen. Uh, we're going to sing of that same faithfulness in hymn 245. Uh, Great is thy faithfulness, hymn 245. Would you stand with me as we sing? seat him. Let me invite you to turn with me and your copy of God's word to uh, the book of Matthew in the New Testament. 
Uh, we are on, if you're using the Pew Bible, uh, we're on uh, page 821, those blue Bibles in the rack in front of you. Uh, if you're visiting with us and you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to take that home with you. That's our gift to you. We have plenty where those have come from, uh, so please uh, take that uh, home with you. Uh, you. Even if you're a member, I guess you could do that. Um, it's really only for visitors, so sorry, uh, members. Matthew chapter 15 we are taking a drastic turn from where we were last week. Last week, we had Jesus giving pretty harsh and condemning words to the religious leaders and elite of his day. Now we find someone on the opposite end of the spectrum, uh, not a religious elite leader of his day, uh, a desperate and needy Canaanite woman. But Jesus' response to her can be confounding. So I hope this morning, as we look at this interaction, uh, we will see the mercy of God that flows to every one of us. Our text of verses 21 to 31 of Matthew 15. Would you follow along with me? And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put him at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. The grass withers, the flower fades. The word of our God will stand forever. Do you join me again in prayer? Lord, in these few moments, might we see Jesus and his mercy that we too would leave glorifying you, the God of Israel. In Jesus' name, amen. A few weeks ago, uh, many of you experienced a water outage at your home. If you didn't know this was going on, count yourself blessed. Uh, But right before Christmas and through the end of December, a number of homes in South Asheville were without water. Uh, There was a problem with the the water flow. I know some of you didn't have water for uh, a few days. And you can imagine the misery of having no water for a few hours, uh, how bad it is to have it not have it for a few days. 
Many of us have had this problem at some time or the other, and then you know the experience when the water finally comes back on, right? You've left the faucet on, you can hear it sort of spurting, and there's kind of getting the air out of the pipes, and all of a sudden it's flowing, and, and you're rejoicing, right? You're running around, you're finally flushing all the toilets, right? You're, you're, ta- you're going to take a quick shower, right? You're going to store up uh, as much water in case it goes out again, but it's that experience of rejoicing and relief as that water begins to flow, Our section this morning is about the flow of God's mercy. And it is about how the flow of God's mercy goes to new places and new people. The flow of God's mercy, we're going to see, swells under the ministry of Jesus. Under the ministry of Jesus, the flow of the mercy of God grows and grows and grows. It swells. It expands. It is extended to the very ends of the earth. The flow of God's mercy swells under the ministry of Jesus. I want to show you in these verses the swelling of this mercy in three stages. Where it begins, how it grows, where it ends. The stages of swelling in the mercy of God. First, we're going to see in verses 21 to 24, God's mercy is exclusive to Israel. Exclusive to Israel in those first uh, four verses or so. Sometimes when we're reading the Gospels uh, or parts of the Bible, we sort of skip over stuff, right? Uh, Especially when you don't really know the area and you just sort of well, I don't know where any of this stuff is. So you sort of skip it over and you sit, wait till I get to the red letters and find out what's going on. Well, we can't skip over uh, the first verse in our text. It's, it's one of the most important verses uh, that we have this morning. It says, Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. So Jesus, so far in Matthew, this has happened before. He withdraws. And he withdraws sort of when it looks like he's about to get in trouble. Not that Jesus is afraid of trouble, but he knows there's a time for his trouble to come. And when it looks like it's coming too soon, he withdraws. So he has been in the region of Galilee. Uh, If you want to flip back and look at your your map in the back of your Bible, you can see this. He's up by the Sea of Galilee. Last week we saw these leaders from down south, from Jerusalem, they come up to sort of question him and, and interview him. And after that conversation, he leaves. And now Matthew tells us he goes a whole lot further north. He goes to this region that is, that is way up out of the Jewish region, uh, right there uh, against, uh, on the coast on the Mediterranean Sea. This is somewhat new for Jesus, to go out of the area and the context of the Jewish faith. And I think what he's doing is he's planting seeds so that later on when his disciples hear that Jesus is telling them to go out of Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, they're thinking to themselves, oh yeah, I remember when Jesus did that. It's not a new concept. There's one author that says, Jesus is showing us the great commission before he commands it. He's showing us what it is to go out and to the nations. Matthew emphasizes this. Verse 22, he introduces us to a woman. He calls her a Canaanite woman. That's a, kind of a strange thing to call her. In Matthew's day, that word is a little bit old-fashioned. That's right? a little antiquated. If you go to Mark's gospel, remember what he calls her, his long word, the, the Syrophoenician woman. Mark's sort of giving sort of the, the modern place she's from. 
Matthew, writing to a Jewish audience, is telling them, no, you need to realize where this woman has come from. And she doesn't come from among us or among you. She is a foreigner. In fact, she has a history in her people as an enemy of God. And so maybe you're thinking, maybe the audience there, Matthew's audience is thinking, all right, well, how quickly can Jesus get rid of her? (laughs) Right. Can we get rid of this foreigner, this non-religious pagan, and get back to the work amongst the Jewish people? Matthew introduces us to her and then records her crying out, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. This is a common request coming to Jesus. There's kind of physical ailments. We saw the, the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, right? And then there's the demon oppression. The people come to Jesus for help. And Jesus has healed these people. This is not outside of his power. It's not outside of his realm. We've sort of seen it over and over again. So we're sort of expecting, well, I guess this is easy for Jesus. What's different is not the, the affliction the woman's suffering under. What's different is who is suffering under this affliction. She calls Jesus Lord, which is kind of a fairly common title. Probably doesn't mean it in a saving way at this point. But then she calls him Son of David, which is somewhat shocking. Matthew, so far... Is, is really showing us or showing a Jewish audience that Jesus is the heir of the throne of David. So he's the one to come in the lineage of King David. Uh, the Jewish hearers would have been primed for that, somewhat ready for that. But a, a, a Gentile Canaanite woman living way up on the coast, what does she have to do with the son of David? And so that word on her lips is at one level, it's just odd that a, a non-Jewish pagan would be asking the son of David. She may know, or she may be speaking more than she actually knows, right? It's possible she's just heard this name. She's heard of a miracle worker. I'll give him his respectful name and hopefully he'll come and help me. But maybe there's a a flavor of something more here that she wants some of the mercy that God has stored up for the Hebrew people, for the Israelites. And maybe she wants to be in the kingdom of the son of David. Sort of unclear in these initial requests. What is clear is how Jesus responds to her. He doesn't respond to her. And I can't quite think of another time that Jesus just blatantly ignores somebody like this. This isn't an annoying Pharisee trying to trap him. right? This is a desperate woman. Her her child uh, is severely oppressed. And Jesus gives her no answer. The disciples are sort of fed up. Verse 23, they come and they beg him saying, send her away. She's crying out after us. I mean, translation, she's annoying us. <laughs> Get her out of here, Jesus. I mean, apparently this isn't just one request she's made. She's, she's after him. She's, she's crying out. They're annoyed by it. They're frustrated by it. Just get her out of here. Remember, this is what they said before Jesus fed the 5,000. They're hungry, Jesus. Send them home. Apparently, that's the job of the disciples. Send needy people away from Jesus, right? (laughs) I don't know what they're thinking. It does seem like, though, based on Jesus' response, that they're maybe not asking him to just get rid of her. What they're probably actually asking him is, Jesus, just heal the daughter and get it over with and get her out of here. Because Jesus' response is to the disciples explaining to them why he won't heal her. You see that? Disciples are not often an example for us. 
I don't really think they are here, but I think they at least have a little bit of mercy. <laughs> Get rid of her, Jesus, by healing her. And then she's healed. She can go away, the daughter, right? Jesus responds, I was sent. Now he's responding to the disciples. Only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is the, the most clear way in Matthew's gospel that Jesus articulates for us his mission. That Jesus is a man on a mission. He's really God on a mission, right? His mission is to go to the lost sheep of Israel. And we know that's his mission because we see here his orders. His or, he is sent by someone. Of course, we know that he is referring to being sent by God, his father. He was sent out to do something, to achieve something, to accomplish something. He doesn't say it often here. John tells us in his gospel over and over and over again, Jesus uses that word sent, that God sent me. That Jesus understands his time on earth is for a particular purpose. And if we are to be followers of Jesus, and if we are to understand his words, and if we are to worship him and trust him, we would do well to understand what Jesus' mission is. Because I think a lot of us, want Jesus to do what we want him to do. And so we go to the gospels looking for him to do the things that we want him to do, to be the type of God that we want him to be instead of understanding what God has actually sent him to do. And this, his sort of focus here is this laser-like focus of all of the people and all of the tribes of the world. He has sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Some of you remember uh, the war, World War II movie, Saving Private Ryan. Uh, there's a, a soldier named Ryan. He's a private. He's Private Ryan. And he's out in, in the middle of uh, the battlefields in France. Uh, and the American government needs to bring him home. And so they send this crack team of soldiers to go and find this one soldier in all of France. Uh, and it's, it's a needle in the haystack type of mission. And along the way, they pass by all of these other needy people and all these other soldiers who would love to go home, who would love to leave this, this miserable battlefield that, they've on, but, that they're on. But this team has one goal, one aim, one mission to reach this one guy. And so is Jesus telling us the objective of the mission that God has sent him on is the lost sheep of Israel. That can either refer to out of all of Israel, they're all doing okay, except there's this one group over here that's lost. Or it could refer to all of Israel that's lost. And I think it's that one, because Jesus is not coming just to save uh, uh, some people that need him. He's coming and offering himself to all that need him. And here we see the flow of the mercy of God. Because we can read this and think it's not fair that Jesus doesn't immediately respond to the Canaanite woman. But we miss the fact that he has come to give mercy to anyone at all. And that he has come amongst everyone to the lost sheep of Israel. Who's Israel? Israel's people that keep rebelling against them. That's people that don't even want God. That's people that keep rejecting the prophets. They keep disobeying his word. This is who Jesus has come to save, right? It's like if Private Ryan hated America and had denied it and run away from the country and that they're still pursuing him. Of all the nations of the world, God sends Jesus to bring back the lost sheep of Israel, the rebellious nation. But why? The answer is the faithfulness and the promises of God. There is nothing special in Israel. There is nothing unique and redeemable about them. It is only the people to whom God has made precious 
promises. In the baptism vows we just heard, you heard parents say they're going to try hard to raise their kid. They know they're not going to keep those vows all the time. We all know we're not going to keep those vows all the time. And when we baptize a child, our trust is not in the vows of the parent. What is it in? It's in the promises of God. Why does God show mercy to Israel? Because he's promised to. Why does Jesus come to the lost sheep? Because God has made promises to them. Here's what's unique about this text. The Canaanite woman is not an heir, is not a recipient of the promises of God. She's an outsider. She's what Paul calls in Ephesians, a stranger to the promises of God. In fact, in a, in a fairly harsh way, Jesus is telling her that Gentiles do not have a right to claim the mercy of God that's intended for Israel. That here at this stage, God's mercy is rich, it is flowing, it is free, and it is focused on Israel. Because that's who God made promises to. But you know, the story goes on. When we ask the question, the same question the woman asks, does the mercy of God extend to Israel and no further? And that's what we see secondly in our text, that as God's mercy swells under the ministry of Jesus, it expands to the nations. It's exclusive to Israel, but then it expands to the nations. This is not a new idea. When God called Abraham, he promised to bless him so that he would be a blessing to the nations. That God's promises and grace would come to him in order that it might flow through him and his family to the very ends of the earth. So here comes the woman. She is not deterred. Uh, she has another request for Jesus. Uh, we see her in verse 25. She came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. There's no more son of David language. I wonder if she got the point. Yeah, you're right. I am a Gentile. I can't ask for that because I have not received those promises. But you know what, Jesus? I'm asking you to help me. Gone is the pretense of religion. Gone is the fancy titles and language. What's here is so simple. It's the same thing happened to Peter on the boat, right? He wants to walk with Jesus, and then he gets out, and he falls, and he's no more fancy language. Jesus, let me be where you are, all of this. It's, Lord, save me. And here's the woman, the most desperate thing she can say, all she has left in her breath to utter, Lord, help me. God hears short prayers. <laughs> and God hears and honors Short, desperate prayers. Sometimes that's the best possible prayer that could be offered to God. Lord, help me. And so with that in mind, it is stunning to read Jesus' second response. Verse 26, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. I mean, I didn't, I didn't say this verse in my pastoral ministry class, right? <laughs> Calling a desperate person in my office a dog? Like, wow, Jesus, that's, that doesn't seem like a very good bedside manner of you. <laughs> the children, of course, in this metaphor are Israel. The dogs are the Gentiles, those who aren't Israel. And Jewish people would actually call Gentiles dogs. It was an insult. It was an insult. 
to call them out and call them dogs. I don't think Jesus is insulting this woman, but I think he is making clear the boundaries, making clear the division uh, between the people of God and the world and the nations. She responds a third time. Wouldn't you have been gone by now? Third time, she says to Jesus, almost correcting him. Verse 27, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. How many of you have dogs that eat your crumbs, right? (laughs) Maybe they try to get up on the table to get some of those crumbs. If we zoom out here for a moment, it is not insignificant that Jesus uses the image of bread. Because we saw a couple weeks ago, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. We're going to see next Sunday, he feeds 4,000 people. Critics have said it's the same miracle. It's not. All the details are different. The location is different. He feeds the 5,000 in Galilee, in the Jewish region. He gives them abundant bread. Then we come to find bread at the Jewish table, crumbs for the Gentiles. What are we going to see next week? We're going to see that Jesus goes to a Gentile region. And he repeats the same miracle. He feeds not only the Jewish people, he feeds and gives from his abundant table bread for the nations. Verse 28, Jesus answers her third request, her request for crumbs, her request for leftovers, her request for barely nothing from his table. And he says, oh woman, great is your faith. What did he say to Peter? You remember? Man of little faith. You know when he's called someone's faith great before? It's with another Gentile. It's the centurion in Matthew chapter 8. Jesus is using the faith of foreigners to humble the covenant people of God. The account ends and her daughter was healed instantly. We're at this point in Matthew where these healings, they're just ho-hum, right? You just go to zoom over it. Oh yeah, of course the daughter's healed. Jesus, the power over all of creation. He doesn't touch her, he doesn't even say anything to her. Be it done for you. And the daughter is healed instantly. Think with me for a moment about the nature of this woman's faith. How many times was she deterred from coming to Jesus? The disciples want to send her away. Jesus does not answer her positively twice in a row. And yet she has nowhere else to go. It's Peter drowning. He has nowhere else to turn. Her eyes are are set upon Jesus and she will not leave and she will not let go until he has mercy upon her. We read this very same thing a couple weeks ago on Wednesday night. We're teaching through the Psalms every Wednesday night. We read Psalm 123 a couple weeks ago. The psalmist said this, and this could apply to the Canaanite woman. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. And then he just says it directly. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us. She doesn't want anything else. She doesn't have a plan for Jesus. She doesn't have a proposal. She's not looking for just a little handout, a little assistance. She is looking to God for mercy and she will not look away. But do you notice in her language, she says all she wants are crumbs. She's satisfied with crumbs of mercy. 
We've been following the Pharisees around and all they want is more and more and more, right? They don't believe anything he says. They want signs. They want more teaching. They want more explanation. And this woman just wants a crumb of the mercy of God. You see, false faith demands so much from God. True faith delights in so little from God. She is satisfied with just a crumb of mercy. Or to quote, Another Psalm 84, a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Y'all, this woman is a model for us to find satisfaction in the God of mercy. To be satisfied with the mercy of God that comes to us in Jesus Christ. The Pharisees just wanted so much more. They kept demanding more and they were never satisfied and revealed they had a false faith. True faith delights in so little. But I want you to see in our final heading is not how little the mercy is. Because in our final account, we see that mercy is not just to one woman and mercy is not just the crumbs. If a severely oppressed demon daughter is healed and that's a crumb, man, I want to see what's on that table, right? Right? Our final point in the swell of God's mercy under the ministry of Jesus is that it explodes to the end of the earth. Verses 29 to 31. It explodes to the end of the earth. One way to read this is that Jesus sort of begrudgingly gives her the crumbs. Like he's like the disciples. Just fine, you ask the right questions. As long as you pester me enough, you can get some of the mercy. Or... We can read this as a picture of the divine plan of God. That as mercy flows to Israel, it expands and goes out to all of the nations. It says what Paul says in Romans 1, 16, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. So where does Jesus go after this woman? He goes and he walks around to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He goes to the non-Jewish side. If you look at the map in your Bible, this is the Decapolis. This is the region on the eastern side of Galilee. This is where he will perform the miracle we'll see uh, next week. And he gets there. People are bringing to him the sick and the needy. It's the same ailments we've seen, but again, it's in a different region. Lame, blind, crippled, mute. And he healed them all. You remember a couple chapters ago at the beginning of chapter 11, where the disciples of John come to Jesus and they say, are you the one to come or should we expect someone else? And he doesn't give them a direct answer, right? You remember uh, what he says to them. He says, the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, and the leper is cleansed. That's his answer. You have had the promises of a Jewish Messiah to come. He has come. The signs that he is coming is the healing and the, the, the life given to the poor and the needy and the sick and the lame. And that happened in Israel. And now the same thing is happening among the, amongst the Gentiles. He is fulfilling the promises of God, not only for the people of God, but to the very ends of the earth. The same power of Jesus is applied to the Gentiles as it is to the Jewish people. As one author says, the power of God's love bursts the borders of Israel. Thinking that image, sometimes you 
see it in historic photos or even now in, in hot days in big cities, they'll go and they'll open the fire hydrants a little bit, right? And they'll just be spraying water all over the city block and there's kids running around and, and, and playing in it and, and sort of frolicking and swimming and splashing and it's just sort of this, this joyous scene. It's just hundreds and thousands of gallons are just rushing out, right, onto the street. This is sort of an image of the uncapping of the hydrant, of the grace and mercy of God, and it spreads, it shoots far and wide. It's mercy growing and swelling and spreading. And we don't have time to do this, but if we follow the ministry of Jesus, it'll keep growing. But it will culminate in a weird place. Because all the spread, all the joy, all the mercy, all the healing, it leads to a death. He rolls back the effects of sin for everybody else, but he goes to the cross to bear that same effect on his shoulders. Then he goes to his death and his resurrection for sinners as the greatest act of mercy ever performed. The righteous in place of the unrighteous. And as he raises from the dead and as he ascends into heaven, he sends down the Holy Spirit. And what happens to the church that's, that's inward looking and is frightened is filled with the Spirit and spreads out. And goes from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. It is the ongoing picture. It is the ongoing story that our church and you and I are a part of. It's the mission and evangelism as the gospel of God goes out to the very ends of the earth and it brings in to the family of God the poor and the sick and the needy. Do you notice, and I'll repeat this, the disciples are sending people away from Jesus, but the Gentiles are bringing people to Jesus. What a picture for us of the feast of God that we invite the nations to come into. The picture of those who are sick, it's not just physical ailments. You may not be lame or crippled or blind or mute. Maybe you are a little bit and you're suffering physically and you can't wait for the resurrection. But the story is actually much worse than those physical ailments. The words of Paul in Ephesians 2 tell us we are dead in trespasses and sin. We cannot come to Christ. We cannot believe upon Christ on our own. We followed the prince of the power of the air. He was at work among us in our passions. We were caring about the desires of the body and the mind. We are by nature, apart from Christ, children of wrath. But then you know the great words of Ephesians 2 where Paul writes, but God, rich in mercy, so rich the crumbs from his table can heal the most desperate among us. Dear friends and brothers and sisters in Christ, look in faith today to the one who is rich in mercy. He will save you and he will satisfy you with the feast that is on his table. Amen. Would you pray with me? Our Lord, you have shown us in this text the riches of your mercy. You have shown us the, the neediness of our flesh, the, the, the desperate place we find ourselves. 
Lord, whether we have never trusted Christ or whether we have trusted you every day of our lives, give us this very day the faith to cry out, Lord, help me. Lord, save me. And Lord, with open hands, we receive and we rest on the riches of your mercy and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close with hymn number 246, Though Troubles Assail Us, hymn 246.